Please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Good morning and welcome to your May the 5th edition of Morning Expresso. As ever, you can select different language versions by clicking on the button below if you're watching live. There's also a Q&A button, but you can also always send emails to nordiafunds at nordia.com. Right, to kick things off this morning, uh, we are going to be talking about ESG. And for that, I am joined by Katerina Hammer, who is uh, head of active ownership within the responsible investment team at Nordia Asset Management. So good morning, Katerina. Good morning. Hi. Looks very sunny where you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it looks a bit better than the reality, but uh, we'll soon be there. Yeah, exactly. We, we, we dare to dream. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we dare to dream. So this morning, the idea is to focus a little bit on, on human rights. Um, so the first question really is, you know, why is it uh, that human rights are so important for, for investors? Uh, it's because it's part of our fiduciary duty to ensure that the companies we invest in also respect human rights. Uh, because where there are severe human rights risks, there's also risks to the business. And those risks include both legal risk, financial risks and reputational risks. So that's really the main reason for investors to, to care about human rights risks. Okay, so it's about protecting risks. But so, so here at Nordea Asset Management, do we have like a, a human rights target, for example? Yes, we do. Um, ah. <laughs> and, and actually, it's, it's part of the Nordea Group um, sustainability targets, you could say, and with a specific focus then on the social targets. Of course, we also have environmental targets, including climate targets. But today we're focusing on the social part and human rights in particular. And we, in the group, we have four different targets, um, mainly um, focusing on diversity and inclusion and also assessment of our suppliers. But when it comes to Nordea Asset Management, we have one specific target that we will dig a bit deeper into. And that's that mm -hmm. we, we are to assess all USD companies um, against the minimum safeguard uh, in the area of human rights. And I mm -hmm. will come into a bit more detail how we do that. But that's, mm -hmm. that's the target for Nordea Asset Management. I guess the the natural follow-up question then is is what are we doing to achieve that target? You know, how do we how do we do that? Yes, uh, and we have of course wor been working with assessing uh, companies against human rights risks for a long time, and part of that is our norms engagement process, where we we screen our portfolios to identify companies violating international norms. So that we've been doing for, for a very long time, pretty much since we signed the Principles for Responsible Investment. So that's, mm -hmm. that's one way. Uh, and then we've also been a funding member of the Corporate Human Rights Benchmark, which is assessing companies on their human rights performance and focusing on the companies in the most exposed sectors. 
Uh, and once we have the results of that, we've also initiated engagement or dialogue with these companies to ensure improvements. And it's very useful to have the benchmark because then you can really see if there is progress. It's a, a benchmark with a scale from zero to 100. Um, so that's, that's uh, something we use in selecting companies to engage with. Um, and then now also with a new EU regulation and the principal adverse impact, it's going to be even more focused not only on incidents or, or violations when they've happened, but also looking at more proactively what are companies doing to, to ensure that they don't get involved in severe human rights violations. And that's mm. examples of that would be having a human rights policy, uh, doing human rights due diligence. Um, there might even come regulation in this area requiring companies to do this. But mm -hmm. I guess a very important first step when it comes to managing your human rights risks is to do a human rights due diligence to, to assess where do our company, where or where is our company exposed to human rights risks and what can we do to mitigate those risks. And then of, of course we will We'll use our engagement practices um, and also voting practices if, if um, the engagement doesn't lead us to where we want to be. We could also uh, use the voting as an escalation tool. And even the, the last, I guess, option you could say would be exclusion. So if mm. it's a company that really is not addressing this, we could always recommend an exclusion to our responsible investment committee. So uh, there's several different um, activities going on to, to ensure that we, we live up to this target. And yes. sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say uh, what you've mentioned there is, is super important because you know, we have this exclusion layer across the whole of the organization and that's things like munitions and we have coal targets and so on and so forth. So, so these are exclusions that we just take out of the equation. But actually, at Nordea Asset Management, what we like to do is engage, don't we? And, and that's, you know, what you're saying there. It's really important that we, we try and improve things and we try and get a dialogue going. Um, yes. And I, I just wanted to, to reiterate that. Yeah, but I interrupted yeah. you. Sorry. <laughs> no, but that's a, that's a very good point. And and an example is the company um, that has been scored by corporate human rights benchmark for several years, having eight and a half uh, out of a hundred. So not very <laughs> impressive. No. Uh, uh, where we've engaged for a couple of years, and that still we couldn't see any improvements. Uh, so we voted against the responsible board member uh, or the board member responsible for sustainability. Um, mm -hmm. And then we've continued the dialogue and uh, very promising uh, in the last meeting with the company where they've actually both published a human rights policy um, mm -hmm. and also much more of the the requested information that is needed uh, to make the corporate human rights benchmark assessment. So we're really looking forward to the next assessment coming out next year, where we believe the company should have made a, a very significant improvement. So there is hope. Sometimes it's slow, but, but we, we do see progress. So I think that's really promising. Great.
Well, that was very diplomatic. You gave an example without mentioning the company name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but if you really want to know, I think you can go and read your our responsible (laughs) investment annual report. Exactly, which came out a few weeks back. Yeah, um, exactly. (laughs) So do your own research. That's uh, excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining us this morning and explaining a bit about human rights and why it's so important to investors and what we're doing about it. So um, it was great to see you again. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you very much and have a great day. Right. So now we're going to move into the main section of Morning Espresso today. And the idea is to discuss the recent sector rotation and the shift to, to value stocks and what it means for investors in stable equities. And so for that, I am joined by Klaus Worm, who is co-portfolio manager of the Global Stable Equity Strategy. Good morning, Klaus. Good morning, Paul. Hi. Klaus, um, we spoke last September and we were discussing the slightly disappointing performance of Global Stable Equities um, in the COVID drawdown. Um, And then of course the recovery phase and the reasons behind this. Perhaps it makes sense just to open with a quick reminder um, of, you know, the market environment that we had for equities um, in 2020. For sure. And it's true. Uh, I had the pleasure also talking at one of these sessions in the fall. And if you're looking at the performance slide that we showed back then uh, in the end of August, yeah. we talked a bit around this quite unusual market development where we had a significant sell-off in the spring, corona-related. But the special thing was this, that it was not really demand driven as we typically see in sell-offs, it was much more supply driven. So it was actually the ability to supply the goods and services that suddenly was disrupted. And therefore we saw a much more beta one behavior initially. And then after that, in the recovery over the summer, we saw a lot of the stocks that were coming into 20 with momentum, big mega cap growth stocks were actually having a bit of tailwind in this environment. So either from the staying at home theme or the e-commerce related companies. So if we were looking at performance at the end of August, we saw a huge difference between the performance of the overall index and then the biggest names within the index. And as this slide is showing is that actually the performance of the biggest five was actually more than 50% companies like Amazon and, and Facebook and and Netflix and the like. Uh, and they had a huge impact on the overall performances seen on this slide that there's a big difference between the median and the overall index performance. But we have less of these growth related stocks that had tailwind from this environment and therefore we were suffering uh, during the recovery phase in the spring and also had a pretty large drawdown in the initial sell-off compared to what we usually see on stable equities. Yeah, I remember the joke at the time was not the S&P 500, but the S&P 5. Exactly. <laughs> before, before we go any further, I think perhaps it would make sense just to, to make clear what it is that we mean when we say stable equities, because it's quite specific to, to you, the team and Nordea. So it's that combination of low risk and value. So maybe you could just explain that a little bit. Yeah, and I also think if you've been looking at performance over the recent period there have been some quite significant differences between our performance and, and low risk minimum volatility type of, of indices. Exactly. And if you're looking at the slide that we usually um, refer to when we describe the process, then yeah. you know, this slide can see 
this low risk anomaly illustrated. So you have the risk on the x-axis and the return on the y-axis. And then this black dotted line describes the return by the capital asset pricing model. The blue square in the middle is the global equity benchmark that could be MSCI world. And then the red line illustrate this inefficiency that we try to exploit, which also are the inefficiency being exploited within low risk or minimum volatility type of, of processes. So instead of being in the overall market, we try to exploit that by moving down to the low risk segment of the market where you find less risk, more stability. And it has been shown at least historically that that generates a better risk return ratio. And I think that's mainly driven that the market typically overshoot on the growth stocks in terms of over or to having too high expectations on the growth. And therefore, at the same time, the low risk stocks tend to have a higher tracking error, even though they have a low absolute risk and a lot of managers still have to relate to that. So you could say from an overall level that the market tend to overshoot on the growth stocks in terms of earnings expectations, and you don't necessarily get the full credit for the low absolute risk on the low risk stocks. And therefore there's this sweet spot that you're trying to utilize. So step one will be to move down to the low risk segment of the market. Mm. And where we then differ is the second part where we try to enhance the return on the low risk pocket by applying evaluation overlay. But it's in the second step. So, so it's, don't, it's not ending up being pure value because we have this constraint up front that you need to find the stability and quality in the names before you start applying the valuation overlay. And it seemed to be extremely efficient to apply the valuation overlay when you have more transparency and quality of the earnings than when they tend to, or they look cheap on the quant numbers, they tend to be cheap because you're actually getting the earnings that are in the estimates. So this valuation overlay are enhancing the returns, but it's also implied that you then get a bit of factor exposure, both towards the value factor but, and, and, and also to the quality low risk factor. So you have two types of factor exposures in the fund by our process. Yeah, it's super important to mention, and you just mentioned it there in passing, that you, you're not value investors per se, are you? It's just that stable equities tend to end up coming from the large cap value space. Um, and so, so as a follow-up from that, perhaps what other style factors does your portfolio have embedded in it um, as a result of your stock selection process? Yeah, and I think it's, it's, it's a, a clearly very good question and one that we're discussing a lot with, with clients. Some clients are using the style analytics tool, which we also have uh, access to in our process. And I think it's very good in terms of illustrating this fact exposure. So we have a slide showing yeah. on an aggregated level, what's, what's our exposure to, to the big well-known factors like value, growth, quality, volatility, and momentum. Mm -hmm. And currently, we can see we are loading very positive on value. So there seems to be a lot of value support within the strategy currently. We're loading negative on growth, positive on quality, negative on volatility, and uh, negative on momentum. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it currently, uh, factor by factor, then it is for sure a development in the market for quite some time that this low risk quality pocket that we've been looking into has not really been um, that appreciated by the market. There have been a lot of focus on growth. There have been a willingness to pay up for growth. And then the stocks that we're typically sitting with with more moderate growth expectations, more stable, but more moderate have been a bit out of favor. And we have seen valuation support building up. We tend to have a positive 
tilt toward value in general, especially relative to the mini volatility index, because we have this valuation overlay, but also relative to the market. But it's quite extreme at the moment after this long period of the market been favoring growth stocks and been willing to pay a lot up uh, for these stocks. If you take the next one, the growth are currently slightly negative. And it's a couple of different factors going into that one, both realized growth, expected future growth, and then revisions. And right now we're expecting a strong recovery after week 20 for the market. So there are clearly higher growth expectations for the market currently than for our portfolio. Then we typically see that the market overshooting more than we are. But if you're looking at growth expectations, they're high for the market. And we've also seen more positive revisions on the stocks that were very negative last year. And then, so when you have negative revisions, we're typically doing a bit better. And the positive revisions typically a bit weaker due to the stability of the stocks that we are selecting. But currently we are slightly negative, but that will vary a bit over time, depending on where we are in the growth cycle. The quality is always positive. And that's of course, by the nature of the process, we are searching for stocks with high quality, high stability of earnings and, and other fundamentals. So, so that tend always to be positive and a part of the process. And so on the volatility side, there you have something like market beta, where we typically are lower than the market. So the red and the purple one are, are clearly always tilted, as we see on, on this slide. And again, the momentum is a bit, last year we had a very weak momentum relative to the market. So we're scoring low on the medium term. We're recovering a bit on the short term, but not enough to offset that one. But that's a little bit more market dependent, whether that is positive or negative. So you just mentioned there that you, that the exposure does vary over time. Is that something, I mean, do you see big variations or is it fairly static and just slow movements in that exposure? Yeah, if you go back to that slide again, so yeah. um, can, we can say that some of those that are more static or stable are clearly the, the quality and, and, um, and the volatility. So they don't vary that much. They're fairly stable and that's a key criteria for the portfolio. Then where, how this pocket of the market or our prospect list, you could say there where we find the quality and the names that we think fulfill this low risk anomaly, but then within that pocket, that could be the valuation of that will clearly value or vary over time. And we have seen valuation closer to the market. And the one we see now is very extreme and probably the most attractive valuation we have seen in the period or the 15 years we have been running the, the fund. The growth is, the volatility is not that big as we have seen on value now, but that is, that's also changing positive, negative being uh, significant positive or negative also, but less volatility than we see on, on the momentum and the, and the value side. Okay. So, so class last time we spoke was back in September and um, I asked you what the catalyst might be that would shift the market interest from growth into value stocks. Uh, tricky question to ask, but um, but since then, actually, we've seen that happening. Um, what's what's driven that change, and do you think that's set to continue? Yeah, it was clearly that the, the vaccine news coming out in November was clearly a catalyst for recovery of the lot of uh, the value stocks that were hit a lot during the first part of twenty. So, the period we have seen since the vaccine news and the U.S. election in November. You've seen a very positive equity market in general, but value stocks recovering a lot. And I think it's a combination of both the vaccine news have, have been a catalyst for some of the value stocks actually also recovering in terms of the business model, but also 
you start to see some concerns in the market related to growth stocks. I mean, what is the, the fair value of those? Are we paying too much for the growth that we could expect? Are the growth expectations becoming too high? So you clearly see that theme. Some of the stocks have, growth stocks have been reporting pretty nicely here in April and, and recovering a bit, but that's still been the theme year to date that the businesses underneath the value stocks has started to do do better or building up with better expectations. And at the same time, we have seen the market being a bit more concerned of the growth stocks. But that rotation has also given our, you could say value factor, value tilt in our process, uh, some recovery, nice recovery in a lot of our names and we have done pretty well performance wise. Um, and some of, some of that could clearly be explained by our tilt towards value without being a pure value process. Yeah. So, Clearly, you believe that stable equities uh, offer attractive potential returns in the months and years ahead. Perhaps you can tell us what underpins that belief. You know, why is this portfolio so attractive right now? Yeah, I think in general, during 2020, we, of course, had to discuss the performance a lot with our clients and the drawdown protection was not as good as we thought. We were yeah. lacking in, in the recovery phase. However, where we continue to and build conviction on the process and our strategy was clearly when we looked at fundamentals. There were significant negative revisions last year. We did significantly better in terms of negative revisions relative to the market. So there was a lot of protection fundamentally. And we're also coming out with actually slightly positive growth and dividends. If you're looking at earnings growth and dividend from the portfolios in, yeah, you can see it on this slide here to the left-hand side, you can see the light blue is the earnings growth plus dividends for the portfolio and the dark blue is the market. And you see this significant negative earnings growth being realized in 20 for the market. Uh, and, but that was actually not the case for our portfolio. So that the underlying fundamental development have continued to be stable uh, and especially relative to the market that combined with the lagging performance has been building up significant valuation support. And when the fundamentals are developing in line with, uh, with our expectations, then we actually have been feeling quite confident that there will be some kind of recovery coming. Some of that had already been realized so far year to date, but if you're looking at the valuation to the right, so there we are showing the earnings yield for the portfolio relative to the market. And here you can see that we are now still at a very high level, despite as some of, of the peak was maybe also a bit related to the earnings expectations so low for 12 months forward a year ago, but now we have seen that the earnings growth might be higher for the market, but still we see significant valuation support and also in a historical level compared to where the strategy has been trading historically, we find very attractive risk return rate going forward. Yeah. So Klaus, another question, a different topic, because uh, here on Morning Expresso, we've been discussing this huge run up in prices for many commodities over the last like six to nine months. So inflation is clearly uh, a consideration for the markets at this stage. Is this something that our investors should be concerned about? Yeah, I think in general, it's, it's fair to be concerned about inflation. And it's also something we're discussing within the multi-asset team, where can we find good inflation hedges for the portfolio. And in relation to stocks as we're discussing today, it's clearly our analysis. You can see some on, on this slide, if you're looking to the scatter plot to the left, that, uh -huh. that the inflation tend to 
go directly through the earnings as shown on the scatter plot to, to, the, to the left. So when inflation goes directly through the earnings, it's, if you see to the right, it's typically tend out to have positive nominal returns also in increasing inflationary environments. So we in general find stocks to be good hedges against inflation. And it's also one of the areas where we think we find inflation protection for our balanced um, products. Then if you're looking in the middle, there's also another uh, impact, the PE impact, so the valuation impact. So there tend to be a valuation impact from increasing valuation. So on a stock specific level, we think it's important that you also are taking into account and looking whether the valuation are also reflecting inflation uncertainty. And therefore companies that might be stressed valuation wise could be at risk. So taking the stable equities where we actually in general think we are sitting with stable companies where they typically have good pricing power. So if you have increasing input prices, they're able to spin that over on the top line. So they typically tend to do pretty well. And at the same time, when they have a lot of valuation support, which is the case currently, we think that stable equities is a good hedge against uh, inflation. And also from that perspective, you could say a good element for, for a balance for, for your allocation. Okay, that's reassuring to hear. So, um... Thank you very much, Klaus. What we're going to do now is uh, a quick summary. And then at the end, uh, maybe if there's anything you'd like to add there, then uh, I'll, I'll ask you if you wanted to add anything. But let's just call up the, the summary slide. And obviously, things right now are looking uh, much better than they were last time we spoke. So that's, that's great to see. Um, first of all, uh, stable equities do offer a diversified style uh, exposure and that we saw with the the bar chart obviously that changes over time as well but not big changes you know it gradually evolves um, and we believe that that means that we stand to benefit from the comeback of, of value stocks but also in combination with that quality element and that's an important part Long-term perspective, still very attractive in this space. We think that things are just starting to get going. So uh, a long way to go potentially. And we also believe that uh, the names in the portfolio have a lower inflation sensitivity because of the valuation buffers that we see in those names. So um, actually a lot of good news, a lot of positive news. And actually, I, I think it just shows that it's important to stick to your guns not flip-flop around uh, according to what the market's doing, but stay with your convictions. And we see that this is starting to pay off now. Yes, and a few comments maybe to, to the summary slide. It's of course also in terms of managing expectations, we've done good so far this, this year, but you can continue to see some of the more pure value stuff being, being very strong if they continue to recover. I think the risk on, on pure value at least based on our analysis, it's more on the earnings side. They tend to have more tail risk on the earnings side and therefore don't offer the same drawdown protection as you potentially could find if you combine it with quality as, as we are doing. So I think that's where you could potentially also see that we could continue to lag a bit relative to pure value if the market continues to be very strong on the recovery side on value. But then uh, we think that we are sitting with a better drawdown protection in our portfolio and that's clearly what the historical numbers are showing. And of course, you could also risk that we will be lacking towards growth if you see strong numbers coming out if you have seen just recently. So short-term momentum could move 
in a lot of direction, but we still, as you also indicated on the slide, as, as you also are saying, Paul, that the long-term risk return ratio for the portfolio looks very strong and very attractive. And this combination of, of value and quality, we think that's a very good place to be positioned right now. Excellent. Well, thanks again for joining us this morning, Klaus, and I look forward to speaking to you again, maybe in six months, maybe September, and we can have a catch up and see how things are. Good. Thank you. Great. So um, next week on the 12th of May, we will be joined by the team at Manulife in Hong Kong, and they manage our Remimbi bond strategies. So if you're not sure why you should be investing in this asset class, we will definitely clear that up for you. In the meantime, don't forget to visit our Stay Alert microsite at nordia.lu, and there you'll find all of the past interviews. We also uh, publish them as podcasts so that you can listen to them, um, and there's plenty of information on that page. We also have, of course, nordiaassetmanagement.com as well, so um, lots of reading uh, on that page too. That's it for this week. I'll see you next Wednesday.